Okay, so I always thought it was just me. That it was just me that played out alternative futures with this imaginary cast. At every fork in the road, what would that other Glenn do? Does it work out for him? And if it does, maybe this Glenn should do what that Glenn did. And it turns out that other people, they deploy this same life trick. In today's Snap Judgment Spotlight, it's from Sharon Mashihi, the creator of a new podcast series from Mermaid Palace and Radiotopia. It's called Appearances. And Appearances is a fictional show for sure, but it has a lot of Sharon's real life in it. She admits that she made this show because she's been wanting to have a kid, so she decided to invent a story. It's a story about an Iranian-American woman similar to herself named Melanie. And I am no psychiatrist, but perhaps, perhaps telling the story of Melanie and her family gives Sharon a way of examining her own situation. We're going to jump in at episode two of Appearances. This piece, it does reference sex and domestic turmoil. And so far, we know that the main character, Melanie, she's the black sheep of the family. And she's been in this on and off relationship with her boyfriend, Ponch. And she's thinking about having a kid. Snap judgment. Hmm. I want to read you something. Why not? No. Episode two. No. A person who has never even been married fantasizes incessantly about divorce. Night we miss the boat at Algerica's and the watchman going about serene with this lamp and oh, that awful deep down torrent, oh, and that sea and the sea crimson sometimes like fire and the glorious sunsets and the fig trees and the Almadea gardens, yes, and all the queer little streets in pink and blue. It's subtle, it's beneath the surface, and I find this disturbing about myself. But I feel like I'm out to prove that every man who has ever loved me has loved me more than my father loves my mom. I was going like mad, and I said, yes, I will, yes. Yes, I said, yes, I will, yes. At least I am not settling for a love so meager as the one I saw in my childhood. Do you know how fucking sexy I think it is? Even the one-night stands. You? I say to myself, he loves me more. A man who has met me and known me for just one night. Do you know how fucking great you feel? Fucking great. And on the flip side of that, I think, how dare I get to have a love that's bigger than the one my mother got? As long as she is inadequately loved, then I, as her loyal daughter, should also be inadequately loved. Okay, now look at each other. I am thinking about partnership and love and how both those things manifest in my family because I am at my brother's wedding. I love you so hard. I love you. Well, the wedding hasn't technically started yet. We're at the before part. The guests are going to arrive any moment. What is it, Vida? And my parents Jamshid. are about to get into a huge fight about my father's choice to hire a very expensive band. Gypsy King! Surprise! Without consulting my mom. 
Where did you get the money? I refinanced. You refinanced my house so that Gypsy King could play Bombolea three times in a row? Are you kidding me? Sorry, Vida, what do you want me to say? They are my favorite band. Jamshid, I don't understand why the night of my own son's wedding, I have to have all of this anxiety because of your actions. And I don't understand why the night of my son's wedding, I have to be a stuck next to a party pooper like you. Party pooper? You poop all over my life! Okay, khafe, khafe, the people are coming. And one, two, three. Hi! Meanwhile, my phone. Text from Ponch. I hope, hope you're having you're fun having on the dance fun floor, period. Dance I'm just floor. sitting at home, period. Wondering why I'm not there. Another text from Ponch. I miss you. I miss you. Where is your heart, Melanie? Question mark. Where? is your heart. And another text. I hope you know this seriously affects my willingness to be the father of your child, period. Not that you even seem very serious about that anyway, period. To which I respond, Sorry, sorry, sorry comma, I just sorry, I just need a little bit, bit of space tonight, of space okay? Tonight, okay? <sighs> really? Sorry. Melanie, why are you wearing that weird dress? I'm allowed to wear whatever I want. Melanie, there's no such thing as whatever you want. I'm a grown man at my wedding, and I'm wearing the tux that my mom picked out for me, okay? You should be wearing something more appropriate. Nope. Different rules for me and you. Your life exists within the confines of the Persian community, but mine just doesn't. What? There's so much you don't understand. Examples that my brother's life exists within the confines of the Persian community, and mine doesn't. One, he comes home every Friday night for Shabbat. I only come home when I'm sick or need to borrow money. Two, he gets invited to every Iranian Jewish wedding within a five-year radius of his age. I only get invited to the weddings of first cousins, and one time the wedding of a second cousin I made out with in seventh grade. Three, the rabbi and the kosher butcher and the crooked doctor who prescribes Adderall to everyone, they all know Bobak's name. Hey, Bobak. Bobak, salam. Salam. Bobak. When I see them on the street and I say hello, they can't even tell I'm Persian. Hello, um, young lady. And example number four that my brother's life exists within the confines of the Persian community and mine doesn't. Easy. My mom does my laundry. Our mother would never do my laundry for fear of what she might find in my pockets. A cigarette, or a vape pen, or a condom, or any number of things that are her worst nightmare. Additional things I might find in Melanie's pockets that would be my worst nightmare. One, a business card to a strip club. Two, the business card of a married man she's having an affair with. Three, a coupon for bacon. Four, an actual piece of bacon. Five, lesbian paraphernalia. Six, a poem about nudity. And seven, the dried out three-dimensional calm of some non-Jewish man who jerked off in her presence. I mean, can't that be in a pocket? Meanwhile, Bobak's pockets. His pockets are flawless. The only thing I ever find in them is trident cinnamon chewing gum, which I lovingly remove before every single wash. Of course, my brother's wedding is the occasion where the responsibility of doing his laundry 
passes from my mother to his new, beautiful bride. Melani Khanum, Ishala Aruspishi. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Aruspishi Khanum. Thanks. Aruspishi. Thank you. Thanks. Every person who passes me at this wedding mutters the same prayer. May you become a bride. Aruspishi. Over and over and over again. Aruspishi. Lest you think that this prayer is specific to the occasion, I must tell you that I have been hearing this prayer Aruspishi. Every day since I was a baby in a stroller. That's just what you say when you encounter an unmarried Iranian child, whether that child is not yet teething or a decade into menopause. Thank you. I do hope to marry. Eventually. Thank you. In the eyes of the community, I am a food that comes in a jar. The word for an unmarried woman like me is torshide. I always thought that word meant pickled, and I pictured myself as a walking cucumber entering every room. Now I know the word actually means sour, gone bad, like rotting milk. Believe it or not, I was excited about this wedding. I had a whole plan. I was going to buck convention and wear a sexy, sophisticated, handmade dress. I saved up for this dress. I picked out the fabric. I picked a designer. When the dress was ready, I rushed home to try it on in my bedroom. I looked in the mirror and I felt good, really good, ready to show up at this wedding full of self-worth. And then I got here and I realized I do not look good. Melanie, you have to come take pictures. Come take pictures. I'm coming, I just have to... I have to fix myself. I was trying to prove to my family that I was unconventional, outside the box. And somehow, I ended up wearing a somewhat culturally appropriative Tibetan ensemble in bright yellow-orange with a fake nose ring. I look like the kind of person who isn't an anthropologist, but acts like an anthropologist and goes to some Eastern nation, and for the rest of her life, dresses like the people of that land. Wow, Melanie, you look very original. Thank you for your daughter soon. Thank you for your son soon. Thank you for your kid. Thank you for your granddaughter. Thank you for your grandson. Thank you for all the boys in your family. Thank you for all the girls in your family. Thank you. Of course, what makes me look the part of the faux, lonely anthropologist even more is the fact that I don't have a date. I just couldn't bring Ponch. At a wedding like this, you can only bring someone you're married to or someone you're definitely going to marry. And on that front, I am still very much undecided. Hope you're having fun on the dance floor. I'm standing on the roof of my building, at the edge. This is not a threat. I'm just letting you know. Jesus. You know, journey, life has a journey, and everybody's journey is different. But you don't want to end up like your neighbor across the street, Fariba. I like Fariba. Everybody likes Fariba. But nobody likes Fariba. Fair point. As the wedding goes on in the ballroom, I am sitting backstage in the bridal room, staring at my face in the mirror 
Melanie, what are you doing back here? This is our party. We are the hosts. You need to be out there greeting people. Mom, I don't like the way my face looks. What do you mean? I have never seen you this beautiful. Mom, that offends me. There is a centimeter of makeup caked on my face. I don't look anything like myself. Etefaren, this is you. I wish you could always look this beautiful. Beautiful enough to find a husband tonight. All eyes are upon us. Oh, hey, Dad. Babajan, my cousin, she just told me she has a hostagar for you. He is 46, lives with his mom. I think you should give him a chance. You never know. But, Dad, I have a boyfriend. <laughs> I am talking about a husband. Somebody viable, Baba. <sighs> Come on, don't make that face. Don't make sad, sad face. You look very beautiful tonight. Very unconventional. Is it so bad that they want to see me married? They want to know that I will be taken care of. But from my point of view, I am taken care of. I take care of myself. I like having my mattress on the floor. It's grounding. I would have my mattress on the floor even if I was a billionaire. You know what? Find a husband tonight and you can put your mattress wherever you want. Next year with your husband. Inshallah. Of course, being at this wedding confronted yet again with my parents' obsession with my getting married, I can't help but think about their marriage. And frankly, if their marriage has anything to do with the reason that I'm not married. My parents' marriage, I am trying to imagine it. Not their marriage as it unfolded in front of my brother and me. Not their marriage the way they presented it in public. But their marriage, the thing between them. A friend of mine once said, Nobody in the world can understand a given relationship other than the two people who are in it. The two people who are in it. My parents. The beginning. Their wedding night. Just weeks after they had first met. After the party, the two of them, alone, in a room. I guess we are supposed to... We don't have to, if you don't want. How many have you been with? Before me? Vida, please. How many? Vida, that is not important. Five, six, ten, fifteen? A little more than fifteen. Oh my god. Vida, I already told you. We don't have to... We can... It doesn't have to be tonight. Of course we have to. It's our wedding night. What the heck are we doing here if we're not going to? Okay, then take off your dress. I can't. Take it off. (laughs) Is this going to be our life? Take it off. times I've glimpsed intimacy between my parents. 
The time I was 16 and we were in the Poconos, and my dad was drunk, and they effed in the bed next to mine. The time I was in high school and I saw my dad get out of bed without his underwear on. Two weeks ago, when I looked at my mother's phone and saw that he had texted, You are in my heart, after she had texted, Hadn't we agreed that every day you would call me? And then there's something else. On the ceiling, above my parents' king-sized bed, there is a king-sized mirror. Why would there be a mirror unless something was going right? Some guesses I have. There is a lot of makeup sex. There are a lot of promises that this time he'll be different. There is an ongoing attraction despite themselves. I want to ask, what are the times when you are alone together that make you stay? Does he keep on winning you back or do you keep chickening out of leaving? I imagine that sometimes you are close, so close, you are like two babies in the womb, hugging each other naked and waiting to be born. Sometimes, it is looping in my head how much I hate him. I am finally finished. We are finally ending it. And then he will walk through the door, and it is time for dinner. And I put down a bowl for him, and he doesn't seem so bad. How would I make money? What would I do with my time? Where would be my house? How would I handle the children? How would I explain it to everyone? How would I continue to be part of the extended family? My brothers, they all have vibes. I can't show up to holidays alone. She is cheap. He is not. Her cheapness provokes his spendiness. He says, Leave me alone, it is my money. She says, It is our money. He says, Go get a job, then it is our money. She says, I will get a job. It should be me running that store. I wouldn't pay for all these idiots to do nothing all day. We were constantly talking about the plans for remodeling. We talked about it in cycles. All the things we were going to change about our life. But years went by, and that is all we had between us. Plans to change things. She asks him to do something, like, Put all your whites in the machine. She's doing a thousand things, including his laundry, and she says, Put all of your whites in the machine. She keeps yelling at him, Put your whites in the machine! He is trying to have a relaxed morning. She is thinking, It is one tiny thing I am asking him, among a thousand things that I have to do. He snaps. Leave me alone! She makes a joke to the children. Your daddy doesn't know how to wipe himself. That's why he won't give me the dirty clothes. He says, She says, But it's true. There are stains in your underwear. He says, The kids start to laugh at him. 
He says to all of them, <laughs> which means shut up in Farsi, except it's way meaner because it directly translates to choke. <laughs> they only laugh harder. He feels emasculated. Inside one marriage, there are many marriages. There was always, simultaneously, the marriage in public, the marriage in private, the marriage when they were alone, the marriage in front of the kids, the marriage when they were fighting, the marriage when they were getting along, the marriage when they had money, and the marriage when they ran out of money. All of these versions were true. All of these versions were a performance of something they could never quite get their heads around. What about the little intimacies? What about when my father had a cyst on his ass and my mother put a hot compress on it? Or when after months of nursing, my mother tried to wean me, but the milk wouldn't stop dripping and my father would have to catch it for her, night after night. Small medical issues, they take up a lot of space in a family. What do I have? I have nothing! Nothing! Look at yourself! You have so much, you cannot even see how much you have. Everything I ever dreamed for myself, not one of the things has come true. And you, you go out into the world, and you do God knows what with God knows who, and I am alone. Your servant! Your babysitter with two children by myself. I don't want to have them over because I don't want to have them over. But they invited us. We have to invite them. We? We? We are going to invite them? I'm the one who has to clean the house. I'm the one who has to cook the food. I'm the one who has to listen to their comments about our living room and our house. I'm not comfortable having them here. It doesn't matter. I'm inviting them. Then you do the cooking. I will not. You are my wife. I ask you for nothing. I do everything. I make all the money. Fucking cook these people a nice fucking dinner. I refuse. You cannot refuse. I do. He chases her. He forces her. He gets on top of her. He makes her agree. It is sexy. It is threatening. It is miserable. She's turned on. She's confused. She says... You should always be such a man if you need me to do something. One day, out of nowhere, she has started touching me. I said, that feels good. Keep doing it. That feels very good. You have never touched me like this before. I feel her fingers all over my chest and my back, and my eyes are closed, and she smells good. And I feel really lucky. For the first time, she doesn't say any judgments. The children are in the other room. The sun is coming through the window. And I feel so loved. And then I feel it. I! Her nails are digging into me. Stop it, that hurts. But she won't stop. She keeps digging with her sharp, sharp nails. I almost have it. Just let me... Hey! One second. I have it. Just one second. She is trying to pop a blackhead. I keep screaming for her to get off of me. But she won't. She will not. She keeps digging into my skin. 
Finally, I scream and I push her off of me, and her head it hits the headboard, and she starts to scream and cry, and the children come running into the room, and she starts saying, "Dad hit me. Your father hit me." But I didn't hit her. I was just getting her off of me. And then the kids they start saying, "Daddy, daddy, why did you hit mommy?" And she cries, she cries, she cries in front of the children. And I just, I get up and I leave. I get out of there. I drive around for hours. That is what our marriage was like, exactly like that day. Every day was one version of that. Every day. It is far from over, Snappers. We return. Disagreements. Quarrels and the craziest time of all, family weddings. When the appearance of spotlight continues, stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the appearances episode. This week, we're spotlighting the audio drama Appearances, and our main character, Melanie, she's speaking with her mother about her parents' relationship. Snap Judgment. I wonder, is it possible to be a good father if you were a shitty husband? Melanie, it is none of your business. You made it my business by complaining to me about the relationship my whole life. Life. I used to get excited because you'd tell me you and Dad were getting a divorce. Why would you want us to get a divorce? Because I thought it would mean the fighting would stop, and that Dad would have to hang out with us on weekends, and like take us to the movies and stuff, actually spend time with us, and you would get a job like all the cool moms at school. Okay, so you thought divorce would make us more American? Yes, that's exactly what I thought. Over and over again, I ask the question: Why did my parents stay in a bad marriage? Why are they still in it? But I realize that I don't have the tools to answer this question. I don't belong to the same culture as my parents. I don't understand their burdens. I once interviewed an Iranian American rabbi to ask her how Judaism views divorce. And she said, "I don't think that Judaism thinks divorce is bad, just that it's sad." The rabbi was well aware of the kinds of comments my mother would hear if she were to get a divorce. Like, what's the point of you divorcing at this point? What could be so wrong? If he cheats, look the other way. Um, what else have I heard? Your your kids are going to have a harder time getting married, having parents who are divorced. You know the way the Persians always talk about marriage. It sort of actually reminds me of the Bible. It's you know the very beginning, and even in Genesis with Adam and Eve, when 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 God says, you know, it's not good for a human being, a man, to be alone. And I think I think that's really at the heart of it. It's not good for a human being to be alone. It's not. It's not. It's not healthy.、Um, you need. You know, God created a helpmate, or however you want to. Translate what Eve was, but yeah, partnership and 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 marriage and coming together and procreating for sure. 
my brother and his bride sit in front of a giant contract. It's the size of a poster. Beside them sits the rabbi. And all around them are us, their family members, siblings, cousins, aunts, uncles, cheering them on as if at a giant pep rally for their marriage. God said, I made this world. It's your job to continue. Under the table, the bride and groom hold hands, his thumb softly tapping on hers, as if in rhythm with her heartbeat. They look transported, as if they are not sitting at a plastic folding table, but instead are floating on a magic carpet. As if they are not signing a contract where he promises to make X amount of money and she promises to always be available for sex, but instead, He is committing to devoutly worshipping her, kissing her all over her body every single night. And she is committing to holding his head against her heart and eternally singing to him a siren's song. And that's when it hits me. I don't resent my brother and his bride for choosing the traditional life. I am jealous of them. Jealous that by getting married within the confines of the community, their relationship comes with all these structures that will help them keep coming back to each other. Structures that are more solid than whatever indecisiveness or moodiness they might feel on the day to day. Structures that are more solid than the question, are we happy? After they both sign the contract, my father and her father sign it as well, as witnesses. And then, all of the first cousins, Kel. And then the two dads gleefully embrace each other. They did it. Their children are married off. Check. One less thing to worry about in life. And as the room buzzes around me, people gleefully congratulating the happy couple, I look at my phone. Eleven missed calls. All from Ponch. I compose a text. Ponch, I made a big mistake tonight not inviting you. Please, please, please forgive me. I love you, and I've thought about your question in the serious way, the way you wanted me to think about it. Yes. Yes, let's be together. All the way. Committed. No more TTBU. Let's get married. Or something like married. And let's have our kid. I put the phone back in my pocket, and I hear the rabbi say to my brother and his bride, and I quote, That's it. You're done. You're good to go. 
you just heard episode two of Appearances, a nine-episode audio mind trip written, directed, and sound designed by Sharon Mashihi. Rose of Melanie, her family members, and all the wedding guests performed by Sharon Mashihi. The role of Paunch was performed by Thatcher Keats. This episode also featured clips from an interview with Rabbi Tarlan Rabizada, the story consultant was Sunita Prasad. The associate producer of pre-production was Monique Laborde. The associate producer was Ariel Mejia. The mix engineer was Harry Nazan. Caitlin Prest is the executive producer and editor of Appearances. Appearances is a production of Mermaid Palace, an audio arts company. You can check out their other incredible work at mermaidpalace.org. The show was made with support of the New York State Council on the Arts, Matawell, the Ragdale Foundation, Union Docs, and IFP. Appearances is a proud member of Radiotopia. Sharon Mashihi is the best. If you like this episode, start listening from the very beginning at the prologue and subscribe to the podcast Appearances. I'll have a link at snapjudgment.org. And this is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, you could create a story about your alternate self and your alternate self could get so mad at your real self they demand to trade places and you would still, still, not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is P.R.X. P-R-X.